The Athletic. Breakaway with Pulisic. This could finish it, and it's a chance for Emerson to touch. score with his first touch and finish this tie off. Chelsea on the way through to the quarterfinals now. Chilwell lifts the ball into the penalty area. Ziyech with the control and Ziyech with the finish. And Ziyech has sent Chelsea through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup for the fourth time in five seasons. It's straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, we reflect on a week of cup success as Chelsea overcome Atletico and see off Sheffield United. We'll catch up with the rest of the Blues news and answer your questions. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. Hey listen, I hope you're well. Matt Davis-Adams here to guide the Chelsea chat with my Blues buds. Liam Toomey is here. Morning, Liam. Hello. And so do Simon Johnson. Hello. And of course, Dominic Fifield. Hello. Right, later on, we'll reflect on Chelsea's superb Champions League showing as the Blues book to place in the last eight. First, though, Sheffield on Sunday. Chelsea 2, Sheffield United nil at Stamford Bridge in the FA Cup quarter final then. An Oli Norwood own goal and a late Hakim Ziyech effort seeing a weary looking Chelsea past the Premier League's basement boys. Uh, Liam, you were there, as was I. Not a classic. Doesn't matter, though, does it, in cup competitions? Pretty dull, wasn't it? Um, I think it was kind of like the first day. I've had this in the back of my mind for a little while with these ghost games, but it was the first day I've properly been at Stamford Bridge and had a full-blown existential crisis while I'm watching a match. Like, what am I actually doing? What are we doing with football at a time like this? Because it it just felt so weird, but glad it's happening, I guess. Um, And Chelsea are heading back to Wembley which, as you say, Matt, is all that matters. They didn't play well. They got the goal really without doing anything to deserve it. Speculative Chilwell shot that happened to go in. And it almost felt like that goal didn't do them any favours because the fact that they hadn't had to work too hard for it meant that they didn't really um, up their game after it. And Sheffield United steadily gained in belief. I think they were trying to be as physical as possible and make it make the game as fragmented as possible. Christian Pudisic in particular felt the uh, the effects of that approach. And then it wasn't until Sheffield United really started coming close with that McGoldrick header, missing his contractually obliged goal against Chelsea and a good chance for former Chelsea Academy boy Ryan Brewster uh, off the bench that they managed to finally get a counter-attack to work. And it was brilliantly finished by Ziyech, a a move really that the game didn't deserve. But as we say, Chelsea heading back to Wembley and there's still hope of avenging really the biggest disappointment of last season. Yeah, we'll talk about the draw uh, soon enough. Here's a tweet from Harry though, asking, is there a reason we seem to struggle in the games where we're expected to easily win? Um, Dom, I think the reason in this case is what Thomas Tuchel alluded to after the match and that the Players are knackered, basically, which is thoroughly understandable. Yeah, they've had 14 games in 59 days. Um, the longest gap between any of those fixtures has been five days, which has happened three times. I mean, it is it is a, a chock-a-block schedule. And it, even with what is what remains a lack of injuries, I know, I know we can point to the absence of Thiago Silva and Tammy Abraham, but 
compared to other clubs, Chelsea have got away with this very, very well in terms of their um, the state of the the players and, and and the physical state of the players. Um, even in that context, that number of games is going to leave them jaded. It's just that's what happens. It's the reality of it. It's a logjam of fixtures. It's no surprise that Manchester United used exactly the same reasoning after their FA Cup tie at Leicester at the weekend as well, that Solskjaer come out and said that they were they were exhausted as well. And it's another club that's had European competition to contend with. Uh, they were playing a considerably better standard of opponent than, than Chelsea were, and they were overcome. They were beaten by Leicester. Chelsea were up against the worst team in the Premier League this season and and just about got by. So it's, it's no great surprise that fatigue does play a part um and uh yeah, yeah this this international break although some players will be involved plenty of players will be involved in in national team fixtures it will provide some with a bit of a breather which would be most welcome we saw uh, thomas tuchel change the team up again we'll talk about some of the academy boys shortly but simon i wanted uh, your take on on some of the other players we saw get get a start here in particular kepper emerson and christian pulisic i feel like the first two of those did pretty well but but Despite getting man of the match from the BBC and the Chelsea Twitter poll, it was another slightly disappointing afternoon for Pulisic. Is that fair? I wouldn't say it was disappointing. I think his finishing was disappointing. But there were a lot of promising signs, a few flashes of Christian Pulisic of of last summer, uh, that, that run between June and August. I thought he had... He, he showed a bit of magic, which you have to say is one of the things perhaps missing from this Chelsea squad, that that ability to beat a man with a bit of skill. Um, he just didn't show that that composure when, when it mattered in front of goal. And and in fairness to him, when he was interviewed afterwards, he himself wasn't exactly, mind you, he never is, um, <laughs> jumping for joy. He, he was he was quite honest, you know, that he was, he was disappointed because he knows that, uh, I think it was only his third start under Tuchel, he knows that he needs to, to, to win Tuchel over he, he, and, and become a regular starter, he needs to be taking those kind of chances. But I, I, I would rather look on the bright side and sort of and, and sort of look at the fact that he took on a few players, beat them, and don't forget he was getting kick pillar to post as uh, as Liam raised. It was the reminder of Eden Hazard. It was just like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> sure, Eden Hazard, if he was watching, was going, yeah, I've got a few uh, mementos of that kind of treatment for all those years he was getting targeted. Um, as for the other two, uh, Kepa, you know, the saves he made uh, were, were pretty straightforward. Uh, it must have been thank his lucky stars that McGoldrick contrived to to miss from that. I, I still, every time I watch that replay, I just, I, just, I don't know how he manages it. I think even I might have put that one away uh, in my advanced years. Um, and Emerson, yeah, I think he did a good job. But we we, we sort of have to say that the, the two worst performances you could say from the two clear of coming the FA Cup. Uh, it's quite funny that that can't that trend can't continue given who they face in the next round. No, absolutely not. Uh, Mason Mount, captain Chelsea, one of four starters on Sunday who graduated from the academy. Another one came off the bench in Reese James. Liam, your latest piece for the Athletic focuses on Chelsea's continued emphasis on youth in these post Lampard times. Yeah, and I have to credit um, the excellent Chelsea youth, I think, for bringing this to everyone's attention a, f- a few weeks ago after the, the win over Everton. He flagged that that was the 100th consecutive game in which Chelsea had had at least one starter from the academy in the first team. And uh, and that streak actually began with Maurizio Sarri 
playing Andreas Christensen and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and it obviously ramped up during the Lampard era, and Tuchel has continued it, largely because of the faith he's shown, continued to show in Mount, uh, and the the increased opportunities that Hudson Odoi has had. So I thought that was worth focusing on after a match in which nothing else felt terribly significant. And um, I'd already had a, a nice chat with Michael Dewberry, who was a, a Chelsea Academy boy from the 1990s. He knows all about the, the kind of journey and what it means for, for an Academy boy to play for the Chelsea first team. And he spoke really well about the the kind of balance that that top clubs have to strike because obviously Chelsea are in a very different position now from when he played for them, um, between development and success. And I think we're seeing that with a couple of the boys who didn't play against Sheffield United. Obviously, Tammy Abraham is having to to battle um, for, for regular minutes. For Kyle Tamori is on loan. We don't know whether his long-term future lies at Chelsea anymore. I know someone that people were quite disappointed not to see in that game was Tino Andrin, who was instead involved in the in the PL2 match against Manchester City. Um, my understanding is that was quite a late decision, which fits with what Thomas Tuchel was saying on Friday about trying to make every attempt to involve him. I think it just all speaks to the tension that Tuchel feels, as every Chelsea head coach feels to some degree or another, whereby as much as he stressed that the academy is going to be an important part of his overall vision. He has to win and he has to win today. And, and and so any academy boys who do play are going to face the same expectations to deliver as the big money signings. Just as an aside on Andrin, by the way, I, I commentated on that PL2 game on Sunday that he played in. He, he is not match fit, I don't think. He's, he's struggled to get a run of games over the last year or so. And you see, I've seen that in the last few weeks in the games that he's played. For the under-23s, he tends to struggle as it goes on. So I think it's probably not the worst thing to just let him have a run of 90-minute games for the under-23s and then he can hopefully make a proper impact when he does get some some first-team football. Um, Dom, a couple of weeks ago, you were pointing out that that it's not new for Chelsea managers to go on massively long, unbeaten runs at the start of their, uh, their tenures. But uh, it, it's 14 now for Chelsea and, and Thomas Tuchel still yet to, to taste defeat. It, it does happen fairly regularly, as you say, but it's it's worth giving some praise to, isn't it? It's been been hugely impressive, even if Sunday's performance wasn't. Absolutely. To go from ninth in the Premier League to fourth and to make progress in the FA Cup and most notably in the Champions League and getting beyond you know the, the leaders of La Liga, I think that's properly eye-catching. And and you know seven consecutive clean sheets and and two goals conceded in those 14 games that's that's a remarkable statistic the way that the players have adapted to i don't know the industrious nature of of what he wants them to do has been excellent the way they swarm around the pitch and close people down and i think that that probably plays a significant part in in that defensive record and there's still scope for improvement. I mean, even Tuchel would admit that. And that's actually quite exciting. If they can become more expansive and get more incisive uh, as well, then they've got a, a proper blend that would that would make the likes of Manchester City sit up and take notice, basically, for next season. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic start. He just looks like a, a seasoned manager who knows what he's doing and um, has made a, a, a proper impact I, I, and I don't mean that as a criticism of his predecessor either I know we we struggle and I think everybody struggles still almost every praise of Tuchel becomes 
an implied criticism of Frank Lampard. It doesn't have to be like that. I think you know we can just say that that that, that was the end of the Lampard era, and, and Tuchel has done everything we could possibly ask of him since taking up the reins um, a couple of months back. So Tuchel's taken Chelsea to Wembley then. Jubilation turned to exasperation, uh, at least in my car, when I heard Dion Dublin pair Chelsea with Manchester City in the semis, though. Simon, what what have Chelsea got to do to beat them? But producer Lucy pointing out that they've got their second leg against Dortmund in the Champions League before that, and then the League Cup final against Spurs the weekend after. So maybe if there ever is a good time to play City, this could be it? Yeah, I mean, that run of games potentially might be a factor but but as City showed at Everton they can sort of leave De Bruyne and Mahrez on the bench and then bring them on um, they have a frightening squad but Chelsea are a much are in a much uh, better position or, or far better equipped more well organised than they were at the back end of, of uh, Lampard's reign when they faced each other at Stamford Bridge I'm sure Man City weren't exactly reacting to the draw with great delight, I'm sure they would have preferred to have got Southampton like everybody else. What did Chelsea have to do? It's more of the same, really. Um, they're going to have to be as defensively as short as they have been. But where they have to improve is is up top. They, they have to take their chances. It's something that has continued to be a problem with this, this group of players, not just this season, but it was a factor last season as well. They're just not clinical enough. So against City, they can't afford to squander any chances. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how far Chelsea have genuinely progressed on the two call. Well, that semi-final is going to be played on the weekend of the 17th of April. Next today, we'll talk Roman Abramovich. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So Chelsea's owner did an interview with Forbes magazine, which was published this past weekend. Very rare we get to hear from Roman Abramovich, so worth a mention David Smith wants to know any thoughts from the pod on what Abramovich had to say in his interview last week. Um, Liam, I'm sure you've, you've read it. There were some some interesting quotes there and interesting in and of itself that he's chosen now is the time to speak. Yeah, Abramovich speaks so rarely that it lends his words more significance when he decides to break his silence. Um, this is one of the few examples where the tabloid expression breaks his silence is actually merited. Because um, he he's borderline mute in terms of his public persona, uh, but we we did always know that one of the things that he's he's been determined to be more vocal on is Chelsea's uh, community work, particularly against anti-Semitism. More recently, against um, racism with the "Say No to Hate" campaign that they've just launched. He made it very clear that he's he's very proud and very committed to the the foundation work that Chelsea do. Um, but I think probably the comments that would have been most interesting to a lot of fans would have been him talking about his ownership of the club, which he never ever does in in any form. And uh, it was quite interesting him his claim that he kind of wishes he wasn't a football club owner because of the extra scrutiny it's given him. Uh, that's an interesting thing for him to say because he he definitely has had some some 
very negative press um, or quite damaging press in in the last couple of years as well, which I'm sure has has partly come because of the profile he's got as Chelsea's owner. He probably wasn't as specific on the decision making process behind the sacking of Frank Lampard as as some supporters would have hoped, but um, he he certainly talked in in more general terms about how Chelsea always back themselves to make the the right decisions when they choose to change managers, no matter how difficult it, it can prove to be. Uh, and I thought it was quite interesting the way he talked about watching matches as an owner. And he, he spoke about them as like an exam for the coach. I think that's fascinating. When you hear about some of the... Uh, some of the stories, you know, in Carlo Ancelotti's book about some of the, the meetings he was summoned to with Abramovich or the messages he got after games that he'd lost. It's, it's very interesting that Abramovich views it that way and, and very much uh, views it as each game and each result, each performance as, as reflective of the coach. And I think that speaks to why Chelsea have ended up changing so often. But he was also very, he was also very keen to praise the work of Chelsea women and spoke particularly highly of, of the work Emma Hayes has done in charge. And I thought that was uh, that was nice of him to do. We know that he met them in Israel a couple of years ago. Um, so he's very invested in that side of the club. And you can see it on the pitch. Dom, you've been covering Chelsea for, for an awful long time. Have you ever come close to interviewing him? Is it something you've ever tried to secure? Or, or is it just kind of understood that it's, that it's not going to happen? Yeah, not going to happen. Um, it's funny, actually, we... we we spoke about this quite recently. Um, the times we've sort of been in Abramovich's company, I mean, you can count them on the fingers of one hand. It's There was a, I remember a, a press versus Mourinho's coaching staff game of football in, in Los Angeles at UCLA's campus in 2007, where Abramovich and his uh, then girlfriend Dasha were, were on the touchline and, and sort of, joining in the celebrations as as Mourinho pulled off a few good saves as a goalkeeper and then pulled a hamstring conceding a penalty <laughs> um but uh and then substituted himself and brought on an international goalkeeper incidentally to 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 to, to actually face the penalty um but beyond that really i mean i, I remember there was a there was a, the first game that his first Premier League game in charge was at Anfield, um, and I was covering Liverpool at the time. And, and the the press box at Anfield in the main stand in those days was right next to the directors' box, and the away directors are, are closest to the press contingent. And Abramovich was there, sitting in the front row as as Chelsea won two one. I think Veron and Hasselbank scored the goals, and at the end of the game. One of my colleagues, John Buster Edwards from the Daily Mail, made a beeline. We were all filing copy and he just sort of squeezed past us right to the edge, leant over the barrier and started shouting to Roman, 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 can I have a word? And then as Roman departed uh, up the steps, ignoring him, and to go down into the director's area, um, Buster followed him into the sort of lobby area where the trophies were kept at Anfield and was badgering him, badgering him, badgering him, and three ex-SAS men swarmed onto him and <laughs> and basically ushered him away in quite a sinister fashion. But the reality was that, that Buster got a, an acknowledgement and uh, and a sort of few muttered words from Roman that actually carried the back pages the next morning about how how this was the reason that uh, 
that he'd bought Chelsea for for occasions like this, wins at Anfield. But but genuinely, that that's about as close as it's got. It's it's very 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 rare, and I've often wondered. I mean, this has gone to Forbes, which is a very much a business magazine. I've often wondered what would happen if if I ever got the chance to interview him, and I think it would. This this particular article, I can see Chelsea supporters loving everything that was said in it, the sense of community that came through, and Abramovich's commitment, even even you know the, the rather. It felt like a rather flippant remark about how you know, the scrutiny of being a, a chairman. It was put in there with a gentle smile and chuckle, apparently. I can see Chelsea fans loving it. I, I can see fans of every other club in the country looking at it and thinking, wow, this journalist has, has given Abramovich a platform here and has not actually quizzed him about how he made his money. And unfortunately, that is a theme that you'd, I, I think, journalistically, you would probably have to investigate. You'd probably have to look at if you were ever given an audience with Roman Abramovich. And I suspect that's the reason why none of us will ever get an audience with Roman Abramovich, if I'm honest. Simon, if there was, if there was one thing that, that you could ask him, what, what would it be? Uh, can you lend me some money? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I get, I get Dom's point. I think, I think um, any interview with Abramovich, though, is going to be heavily controlled. Yeah. So even if even if you wanted to ask those questions, um, you'd probably get rugby tackled as as the words were passing your lips, probably from some of those same ex SAS men. I I think I think one of the issues I'd want to ask him about is the stadium. What's going on with the stadium? Is it going to yeah. happen? Can can you? Is there any sort of chance you can get this up this thing back off the ground? Because it was one of the things that got Chelsea fans talking. You go to Stamford Bridge these days and it, it, it is an ageing ground, especially when you go to the likes of the, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, etc. And for Chelsea to be dazzling the, the sort of the new signings that they wanna want to uh, lure to Stamford Bridge, I, I think a, a a shiny new stadium is is a part of that. It, Stamford Bridge is only going to get older and more sort of um, behind the times as each year passes. So, yeah, that would be one of the many things I'd want to ask him about, probably along with uh, how much money you're going to bid for Haaland, which is Chelsea's <laughs> obsession right now. We need to we need to know what happens next as well, don't we? I mean, that, that's got yeah. to be in there. You know, what, what happens when when Abramovich isn't there anymore? Is What is the contingency plan? What what, are, what is being put in place that safeguards the club's future? And I'm sure there are things, and we're told that there are these plans exist, and that there is a a sort of parachute there. Um, but it would it would be interesting to know what that was. Just a, a couple of things that came to mind for me that weren't in that interview that I would quite like to see a Brown Rich comment on at some stage. One would be just kind of his relationship with Marina Granovskaya and, you know, how that's evolved, how that works in terms of the running of Chelsea, because that is the relationship that runs Chelsea Football Club. So it'd be quite interesting to hear him talk about that. I'm not sure he ever will, uh, but that would just be quite interesting to me. And the other thing was um, something I saw Matt Law, the Daily Telegraph raise, uh, which I think is maybe not one of the weightier topics that Rich could talk about, but interesting nonetheless, is just how the standoff with the UK government and not being able to come to the UK even before the pandemic to watch Chelsea, how that's changed how he approaches the ownership of the club or how how it's changed his, his experience as a fan. 
I just think that would be quite interesting to hear him talk about as well, because that's been a, a massive change from what was, you know, what, what the first sort of 15 years of his ownership to, to the last couple. Well, Abramovich, like the rest of us, will have been buoyed by Chelsea's excellent performance in the Champions League last 16. We'll reflect on that next. So the Blues through to the last eight of the Champions League for the first time since 2014 after they saw off Atletico Madrid 2-0 at Stamford Bridge in the second leg of their round of 16 tied to claim a 3-0 aggregate win. Um, Simon, that, that first goal felt like a, a bit of a moment for the three players involved in it, in, in Werner, Havertz and Ziyech. Yeah, and he brought back memories um, of uh, Drogba's goal against Barcelona in the semi-final in 2012. Uh, sort of similar kind of counter-attack, same end, uh, same cross, you know, from the left-hand side, same kind of miss, not the best finish, and the goalkeeper making a bit of a hash of it. But it was at my end where I was sitting. I was I was in the uh, the East Lower and had a great view of it. Werner, Werner, who's had a lot of criticism uh, all season, not just from us, but he was magnificent in that in that goal because it started from him doing the the hard yards, you know, to to block that cross or get a semi block on that cross. Conte, who was my man of the match by by a distance, uh, heads it on and Havertz, very cool, calm, collective, and so on and so forth. Big goal for Zayesh. He'd been struggling uh, to get into the game at that point and it was noticeable how it lifted him confidence-wise. He became much more expressive after that, much more involved, showing much more quality that, that perhaps we saw in the autumn. But I was just, overall, I was just thoroughly impressed with, with the way Chelsea played. There was a lot of criticism again for Atletico Madrid uh, as there was after the first leg. And I, and I just... I just sort of think no. I think I think the focus should be on the way that Chelsea played rather than try and sort of relegate the opposition to some kind of uh, rubbish team. You know they are top of La Liga. I just think Chelsea were the better side on, in both legs. And and as I highlighted in my piece afterwards, though, that's one of the best games I've seen Conte play since the Europa League final, where he played. Let's be honest, with a questionable knee injury, he just seemed everywhere. There was this, and I I made this point. I think. And I made it in the in the readers' comments bit below my piece. I'll just never forget where I myself was like, "Hang on a minute, where's he come from?" Because <laughs> one minute there was a throw-in in front of me, and I saw Conte to my right. And I was like, "Ah!" Oh. And then, like a second later, Letico played a ball in behind the Chelsea defence. I was like, "Oh, oh, that's a good ball." And then there he was, and I was like, "As he as he got there, <laughs> like, is, how's he managed that?" You'd have sold him in January, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, don't start. I got a lot of grief on uh, following my piece. They're like, oh, you weren't saying this a few months ago. <laughs> um, no, I mean, playing like that, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a no-brainer. You don't sell a player when, when, they're, when they're in that kind of form. And a fair play, this is a sign of Tuchel's man management. You know, he's been very careful in terms of um, getting Conte back from his injury, his hamstring injury that he had in January. He's managed him very well. Um, we had this debate, didn't we, Don, about... And he rightly said, he hammered me for even suggesting that um, his place was in jeopardy. But Jorginho and Kovacic were, did start very well under Tuchel. But yeah, Conte was different class. You've you got to say that um, a player like him, we talked about Man City earlier, you have a player like him in Chelsea's team in, in the big games and, and they become a totally different proposition to face. 
So if he was man of the match, Don, was was Thiago Silva a close second? <laughs> yeah, they were, look, it was great. It was lovely to see, and there were there are obvious throwbacks to to be made with um, John Terry, you know, preaching from the sidelines on the, the occasions that he wasn't playing. But I don't think we should get too carried away on it. I, I, I think it sums up the uh, the man quite nicely. And Thomas Tuchel spoke well about it on on Friday last week ahead of the Sheffield United game. Um, when Thiago Silva joins a club, he is completely committed to that club and his life revolves around everything that that club does on the pitch. And, you know, it must have been frustrating for him to have, to be missing out on an occasion that big. And But he was preaching from the sidelines because because he, he's living, you know, the, the moments out the team are playing out on that on that pitch. Look, Tiago's reaction. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that answering. Look, God, he's passed his fitness test for the next game as well. He probably also looks at it and thinks, this might be my last opportunity to win the Champions League. Um, so it's probably given greater significance there. But it was a it was a lovely image and and a lovely sort of sideshow to the main event. I mean, it was a sensational result over two legs for for Chelsea against Atletico and and an inconceivable one when when that draw was made we did not think that they would I don't want to say breeze necessarily but that they would they would progress quite so smoothly against Atletico Madrid it looked such a daunting tie but they really did a job on them both matches and and that is huge credit to to Tuchel and to his his players and selections of both those games so Atleti out of the way then, Porto up next in the quarterfinals. Liam, could the draw have gone any better or, or am I underestimating the team that just knocked out Juventus? Well, I mean, it's it, we won't know until they actually play the games whether it was the most favourable draw for Chelsea, but it certainly looks that way. I think going into it, every team left in the Champions League would have wanted Porto. You know, I, I didn't watch every second of that tie against Juve, but I think the the consensus on it is that that result was just as much about Juventus's deficiencies as it was things Porto did well. And as much as they will be a spirited, difficult team to play against, I think you'd much rather have them than certainly Bayern Munich and Manchester City. I think those were the key teams for Chelsea to avoid at the quarterfinal stage. Yes, you're going to have to beat a great team, at least one, to win the Champions League. But you don't necessarily want to play them in the quarterfinal if you can avoid it. And the fact that City and Bayern are in the same half of the draw now with PSG and Borussia Dortmund, Haaland and Mbappe, who you know will be live underdogs in those two quarterfinals, that looks like a very difficult road to the final for, for whichever team makes it through. Chelsea will certainly fancy themselves against Porto then I think they will fancy themselves against Liverpool, who they've already worked once at Anfield since Tuchel took over, or Real Madrid, who have not looked at the same level on the European stage since Cristiano Ronaldo left. Um, So it's a very different road to the final to the one Chelsea had in 2012, where they did actually beat the two best teams in Europe to win that competition somehow. Um, On paper, it's it's an easier path, but... I think you know they they have to win the games, but I think it's a hugely promising draw for them. And Tuchel has a real chance to do something special here. 
First leg of that game against Porto is on Wednesday the 7th of April. That's away, uh, I guess, venue TBC. And then the return leg, due to be played at Stamford Bridge, that's Tuesday the 13th of April. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-23s played out a hugely entertaining 2-2 draw with Manchester City at Cobham on Sunday. City running away with the league, but they fell behind when informed Tiano Ballo put Andy Myers side one up. Rory Delapson, Liam, then levelled soon afterwards. He's got 20 goals in PL2 this season. Uh, Levi Colwell put one through his own net, but then equalised in the 89th minute. It means that Chelsea are unbeaten in four. They're fifth in the table. They've got six games left to go. Uh, the under-18s grateful to Miles Pert-Harris, who stepped off the bench on his return from injury to earn a point in a 2-2 draw at Leicester. That means Ed Brand's boys are sixth in the 13-team PL South. They go to Southampton in the league this weekend before they face Fylde in the fourth round of the FA Youth Cup in the first week of April. And no game for the women's team this past weekend, but they're gearing up for the first leg of their Champions League quarterfinal tight with Wolfsburg. That's at Kings Meadow this coming Wednesday, the 24th of March. If you're in the UK, you can see that on BT Sport. Kicks off at 4pm. The women then have a league game against Villa to follow on Sunday. Right, that's just about it for this week. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Dom, Chelsea supporters might enjoy your piece on the misery at Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, although I think things have picked up slightly after their win at Aston Villa on the Sunday. But yeah, there was, there's a piece up there analysing uh, Hugo Lloris's uh, post-match interview from their unbelievable capitulation at Dynamo Zagreb last Thursday night, which, yeah, it might be worth a chuckle for some Chelsea fans, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Liam, we mentioned your piece on, on the academy players currently getting games for Chelsea. You also teamed up with Stuart James to profile Mark Gurhey, who's been doing great things for Swansea. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been arguably the best centre-back in the Championship this season. I know he's incredibly highly rated by Steve Cooper, who's, who's managed him really well, it has to be said. He, he brought him into the team slowly, but was really empowered in this season in a back three. Gurhey's looked excellent, but I think just as interestingly, as far as our piece was concerned... He's approaching an early crossroads in his career this summer. He has effectively two years left on his contract. One of those is a team option that Chelsea will definitely activate if they need to, to preserve his value. But it's looking like there will have to be some sort of decision made on him this summer because Chelsea don't normally allow players out on loan to reach one year left on their deals. They usually make them extend before then. Our understanding is that that's not going to be an easy conversation because I think Gerhi is wary of ending up in kind of like a cycle of loans and stalling the momentum that he's built up in his career. He wants to play Premier League football next year no matter what. But there's also the argument for maybe like a sort of Nathan Ake style path where you sell him with a buyback option or, or something like that. So that's going to be one of many difficult decisions that Chelsea face with their defenders this summer because a lot of them are either out of contract or running out of contract. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do with Gurhi and co. Uh, Simon, how about you? What have you got on the agenda for this international break? Well, on, on Tuesday, we're starting a, a, a blitz on cult heroes and um, I've interviewed Mikel Janobi at great length. It was an interview conducted over two days. Uh, the, the first day was interrupted because some food arrived. At his flat, not my, not my door, Don. Before you say anything, <laughs> I resisted the urge for a takeaway on that occasion. Um, but it's, it's. I've always found Mikel an extraordinary interview. He, he's someone that 
will speak very honestly. There's no question that he won't answer. And, you know, I don't want to give too much away because there's obviously a lot of subjects covered, but he speaks from the heart. He speaks as someone that is still rearing, I think, the fact, the man of his departure. Um, he didn't want to leave Chelsea when he did. Conte did a lot of great things for Chelsea, but the way he treated Mikel was questionable, to say the least. Um, but there's lots of great memories that Mikel covers. There's a lot of bad memories that Mikel covers. Yeah, it's a great read. We're talking over 6,000 words here. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an athletic, long read, but I promise you every word is, is worth reading. I think I might read it over two days as well with some food in the middle. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that. Uh, remember, listener, if you're not currently a subscriber, you can sign up to The Athletic right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod that's just about it for this week many thanks to Simon to Liam to Dom and to producer Lucy but mainly to you listener we'll catch up with you again same time next week from all of us here though for now it's goodbye The Athletic